Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So who do you think did best in the debate? This was the question that was asked. Uh, this is this is Ipsos with 538. So that's Nate Silver's group. I, I believe Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Guys, what are you doing? 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. It's a 538 Washington Post Ipsos poll. This was conducted after the third Republican debate just took place. It was in Miami. It was Ron DeSantis, it was Nikki Haley, it was Chris Christie, it was Vivek Ramaswamy, it was Tim Scott. What did they find? They found in the debate, the people who watched, what did they like, what they didn't like, who was uh, who was there. Nikki Haley performed best, Vivek Ramaswamy was the worst. It's a fascinating look, because I think if you were to ask the passionate faithful, They like the fact that Ramaswamy had the lines, man. Ramaswamy, like, went right after Ronna McDaniel. you, You heard that, right? And going after the debate moderators, if you didn't hear that, I mean, this this was uh, a huge part of the talk. Uh, Mr. Ramaswamy, let me turn to you. Uh, please make your case. Why would you uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We're a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Kristen, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross, this is how we get our country back. We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden laptop story. And they're going to rig this election. Your time is up. Let me turn to Governor Governor Christie. Why you? That strong as can be? That was a punch directly and people did like it. But yet when you look at the polling of of the debate, he rubs me the wrong way, which is exactly how you left. He made you forget this, which is a really a, a, a kind of fascinating skill that someone can make you forget that they were came out against Ronna McDaniel and told the media exactly what he thought of them. And then you catch uh, Vivek was on with uh, Rob Schmidt uh, over there at uh, Newsmax the other night.
point. We're, we're two months from Iowa, and, and Trump is still dominating this thing. Um, uh, you know, I, I often wonder what your motivations are in this moment because it just feels like Trump's got this as a candidate. How do you compute that reality? Well, I'll say a couple of things. The other candidates all want to sit there and Monday morning quarterback Donald Trump on some small thing after most of them were licking his boots not that long ago for favors and endorsements and money. That's pathetic. And I wasn't doing that for the last several years. I wasn't politics. I was building businesses. But on the flip side, as they're second guessing Trump, I'm actually being very honest. He was an excellent president. He the reason he's doing so well in the polls is that he kept us out of wars and he grew the economy. That's the answer. So he you're not a high you're not you're but not I'm trying running. to take this thing from him. Now. I mean, you're you sound like well, a surrogate no, right now. You're not you're not ready. trying to take I, it from him. That was a really good line from Schmidt. Uh, Vivek goes on to say, I just think that I'm the guy with fresher legs. I'm the guy who can reach a younger generation. That's necessary to win. I'm the guy who can do it. And, and, and uh, you know, we, you've got two America First candidates uh, in, in, on the Republican side, me and Trump. The difference is I'm younger. That's, that's his push. But that whole surrogate thing, I mean, that was, a, that was a good line from Rob Schmidt. Vivek does rub voters the wrong way. He comes across as smarmy. I've said this many times. Nikki Haley comes across to many people in the debates as a fighter. Sometimes I think she comes across a little bit whiny. But for most people, and certainly suburban soccer moms and others, comes across as a fighter. But there is a difference between who you think won a debate and whether or not it moves anything for anyone. Is anyone moved to change their vote? This was exactly my argument yesterday, and we were all like, yeah, that this is, this is what matters. Here was this debate where you have to make a splash in a way that makes a difference against Trump, and nobody, nobody even tried it was the craziest thing I ever saw. No one tried at all. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't, couldn't believe my eyes. There were two and a half mentions of Trump. One from uh, DeSantis. One from uh, uh, Chris Christie. Like a half of one from Nikki Haley. Nobody brought him up. He's the guy you're running against. Well, really, you're running against Biden. Okay, no one brought up Biden. No one discussed the Biden policies. No one discussed the issues with Biden. No one brought it up as a constant and continual problem again and again and again and again and again. No one. It's the weirdest. They, they forgot why they were there. So it is not surprising that when you take a look at the data from this 538 Washington Post Ipsos poll. That while they think Nikki Haley did the best and overperformed, that doesn't necessarily mean a move on, on, on the idea of where they're going to vote. Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, all above average. Uh, 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 Tim Scott, slightly above average. Vivek Ramoswamy, slightly uh, below average. And Chris Christie, uh, below average. Which on Chris Christie, absolutely true. And on Tim Scott, he did way above average. Tim Scott, 
did wonderfully in that debate. It isn't going to help him. It isn't going to help him. But you'll notice people don't really go after Tim Scott. That man has got himself a future in the party. That man is necessary. By a country mile, people thought Haley did the best and they thought Ramaswamy did the worst. They thought, uh, the, the, the least amount of people thought Haley did the worst and the second least amount of people thought DeSantis did the worst. And then it was Ramaswamy leading the way on the worst, followed by Christie and then by Scott. I don't know how you think Scott did bad. It's just that Scott, many of Scott's answers are just pleasant. They're not substantive. It's when he got into an economic conversation with Lester Holtz that he was substantive and you were like, holy crap, this is awesome. Kids, come listen to this because it was really good. Sensational answer, so good, so well uh, uh, presented. Like that's, that's got to be uh, imitated often. Winning debates is meaningless. That's reality. This is a chart of who gains and lost support. Follow this. Again, this is one group. This is Ipsos with 538 with the Washington Post. So here's what they, they've, they've got. Trump's support went down after the debate from 64.6 to 63.1. Uh, how they do it. What, that, 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 that's non-existent. The guy wasn't even in the debate. What, what are we doing? What kind of conversation is this? How, I'm not quite sure what you do with that information. DeSantis went from 49.7 to 48.3. All right, you never want to go down after a debate that you're in, considering that Haley went from 36.5 to 38%. Ramaswamy went from 21 to 19.8. Scott went from 20.3 to 19.3. Christie went from 13.7 to 14.9. I don't know how... I, I, I don't know how that's possible. But I think the argument here is that winning debates is a meaningless proposition and clearly will be meaningless until Trump is in one or... Somebody does something to force commentary. You'll notice that that where where is the did I miss it? The massive commentary uh from from Donald Trump regarding the debate, except for they're all losers, they're all terrible, I'm the best, I clearly won the debate. Once again, don't even have to be there. My my impression sucks. I could I could do a lot of good things. Uh, impressions, impressions, not there. I, I got, I have to, uh, to practice, uh, or give it up. It's, I have to practice and probably, uh, give it up for, for, for sure. Uh, the only statement was, um, uh, from Trump was DeSantis debate disaster. I guess we're calling DeSantis now disaster instead of desanctimonious. He picked out his favorite high heels to show off on the debate stage, but maybe he should have stuck with the ones he's been wearing on the campaign trail. Ron shuffled his feet and gingerly walked across the debate set like a 10-year-old girl who had just raided her mom's closet and discovered heels for the first time. 
This is actually on Trump's site. If that wasn't embarrassing enough, his heels caused caused him to trip, almost falling flat on his face. I did I miss that? That's from Steve Chung, uh, Trump spokesperson. I I uh, I, uh, I I didn't see him trip. I must I I missed it. But that's that's what he's got. There's nothing else. There's nothing else here. Right? Trump's not worried. Trump's not concerned. No one hit him. And then, in, on top of nobody hitting him, he gets the freaking endorsement of Bernie Marcus. You know what I'm talking about, right? Bernie Marcus of Home Depot? Yeah, that Bernie Marcus. Bernie Marcus, 94-year-old billionaire has come out to endorse Donald Trump in a commentary called High Stakes and a Simple Choice. If you are one of those five on the debate stage, you're like, what is even the, what am I doing? What is even the point? Or is that what you're saying? Every piece of information shows Trump with the high hand and the hot hand, and he's he's building. Yet there is this refrain that, of course, the the people who are not Trump supporters have been going on for for about a year. Trump can't win re-election. Uh, I'm one of the people who thinks Trump has a real problem in a general. Oh, I am not sold on the idea that Trump can just win re-election. You don't have me. You don't have me. I will honestly and always go over the data and I'll honestly tell you where I'm at and I am willing to say that if Trump is the nominee, I'm voting for him. My fear of him, uh, of his ability to win a general election is very real. He is not as likable across the country. He's not. It is this that the candidates are betting on. You understand that the only reason Mike Pence left the race is because he was out of money. There was no more money. And I must tell you, I am stunned that Tim Scott was able to make the debate stage. That guy's got 70,000 individual donors? You, wow. That's something else. Pence left because he was out of money. Otherwise, of course, he'd still be in it. Why? Because nothing matters to Iowa. If I'm somebody who looks at the poll numbers and I determine that the poll numbers are fact and there's nothing else I can do, I got to get out now. But if I'm somebody who has the money, you're going to do everything you can to bring about a solid result in Iowa to then prove that you are a player in the game. And so you start understanding that these candidates might not care if they go after Trump or make a big wave and try and get Trump's attention. Maybe bringing him up isn't actually the thing that they're after. Maybe, just maybe, possibly, the thing that they're doing is ensuring that they have the best day possible amongst the voters where they're campaigning because it can be said with clarity that while Trump does rallies, DeSantis and Nikki Haley and the rest, they're campaigning. 
And to the extent that I know how detailed their campaign is, I, I don't. But they're knocking on the doors. They're at the events. They're reaching out to people. DeSantis got the endorsement of the Iowa governor, uh, uh, Kim Reynolds. They're working that angle. And they're actually asking for the vote. You'll notice that Ron DeSantis at the end of the debate asked for the vote. I think that's because he sees what Nikki Haley is doing and realize, realizes you can't just assume de facto you'll get it because, oh, Trump can't win. No, no, no. You have to ask for it. You have to engage that little bit of being humble. And that is not where DeSantis lives and breathes. Nikki Haley could do it much better. Why get out of this race? Why even bother with Trump? Go get the best showing you can in Iowa and utilize that to catapult you to New Hampshire. And then if you're Haley, get yourself to South Carolina. DeSantis needs much better showings than Haley in order to make the South Carolina conversation work for him. He didn't expect Haley to do this well this early. So who won the debate? It's in, it, it doesn't matter because it didn't move anybody. But maybe the point is you're not going to see the movement in the polls. You'll see it when they actually show up in Iowa. I think that's the bet that they've made, which I can get because it's the bet that allows you to stay in this competition. And I think they're all staying because I think they have the money and the willingness to do it. And not hitting on Trump, Make, make it easier for them. I'm Tony Katz. The Dow is up 289. Man, did they want a strong week and they got it. NASDAQ is up 227. I don't know if it makes my 401k better. Honestly, I'm afraid to look. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. Joe Biden is going to meet with President Xi Jinping, uh, the uh, President for Life dictator of China. On Wednesday, this will be in San Francisco. This got announced uh, today. It will be the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. There'll be the Beijing team. There'll be the Washington team. Oh, snacks will be provided. Going to be fantastic. They're going to talk Israel-Hamas. They're going to talk Russia-Ukraine. They're going to talk North Korea, Taiwan, fentanyl, artificial intelligence. And in the end of it, at the end of it, I think everybody gets ice cream. That was a, that was a sticking point from the Bidens. Ice cream had to be provided. Otherwise, what was the, what was the point of it all? No, I don't expect anything to be different. I don't expect anything to change. I don't know why I would. I don't know why you would. Do I oppose conversation? No. I do not. Then we have uh, the IRS announcing new income tax brackets for 2024. I got to go through this. Because for 2024, the top rate of 37% applies to individuals making over 609000 Married couples earning 731000 How about for the, for the rest of us? That's my question. Oh, I, I'm not going to figure out this chart. Um, you know what? Just give the government your money and they'll figure out what they owe and they'll give you the rest back, they promise. No? All right. I'll post this at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. 
is a three-game win streak for the Indiana Pacers. I don't think anybody thought they would be this good. I didn't think anybody thought that they would score this much. They don't have a game under 100 points. They also don't have a game where they uh, haven't given up more than 100 points. So maybe there's an issue with that. The Colts. Uh, they're over there in Germany. Uh, I don't know, eating schnitzel. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything at TonyKatz.com. JMV joins me right now. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. 93.5107.5, the fan out of Indianapolis. Uh, the Indiana Pacers, uh, with the fancy, snazzy uh, uniforms that people seem to love, including Sage Steele, uh, they're 6-3. and three. They're on top of the central, uh, young man. Uh, what is with this team? They've got uh, expectations this year. They were, they're good. They're deep. Um, they do have talent. They have a, certainly an abundance of offensive talent that has been on display so far. Now, the big question is whether or not they're going to bring it up on the defensive side of the basketball there to be able to do anything longer term or maybe even bust past the expectations for somebody like me that had them winning 45 games. Now, by the way, winning 45 games this season would be up 10 games from winning 35 a year ago and 20 from 25 the year before last. So that is a substantial expectation in, in terms of wins of a jump there. But yeah, I think that they're built to be able to do that. They can certainly score. And last night, Tony, they got they surrendered, what, 50-plus to Giannis but got some defensive stops when it really mattered. And that was down the stretch. Final minute and a half of the game or so, Matherin took it away from Giannis. I think Giannis actually threw it away. He complained about being gassed at the end of the game. But if the Pacers can get any semblance of a defensive threat out there, they could have something this season in the Eastern Conference without question. Yeah, Giannis got 54 points. Yeah. That's what happened uh, there. So and and still, uh, the Pacers are, are able to pull out a, a victory. But I think the the bigger thing here is the giving up of fifty four points. There does seem to be when you go through this, no game where the where the opposing team hasn't scored at least a hundred points. That would signal to me an outsider looking in as uh, there is some need for defense. Well, there is too. Most of the time, Tony, it's on the perimeter. They have troubles keeping the opposing guards out of the paint, and really all NBA teams do, but certainly the Pacers have that issue right now. Last night it was all about Giannis, especially as they started the third quarter. He was absolutely unstoppable. I kind of thought that Rick Carlisle uh, should have doubled on him a little bit earlier. They finally did. He kept scoring, but it wasn't at a uh, uh, wasn't as a high a clip as I thought it was going to be. He went to the free throw line just a ton of times last night, so there's no doubt this team's going to have to stop fouling. But they were one in twelve, Tony, uh, in their last twelve against the Bucks, and that one came a year ago here in Indy without Tyrese Halliburton, which was kind of odd, but they really needed it to beat a team this year that is good. And even without Damian Lillard, who did not play last night, the guard for the Bucks, this is a legit contender coming out of the Eastern Conference. And you get Philadelphia on the road both Sunday and then again on Tuesday. And they're really good, too, in the East. Last night was a good win for this Pacer team and necessary. A little prove it in this early season of the NBA campaign. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana. Uh, let me move it down to Bloomington before getting uh, to the Colts. They take on Illinois. Uh, they win out. 
they get a bowl game. They're three and six in the Big Ten. Uh, they are not a good team, as we have described uh, uh, to to the chagrin of the Bloomington faithful. Uh, but is Illinois a game that that's winnable, or is it a, a good lord? You need to get lucky, unlucky, unlucky. You could make an argument that their final games are winnable. I mean, you get Illinois, what Michigan State, I think, and then. You know, obviously Purdue, I believe Purdue for the Oaken Bucket is up in West Lafayette at Ross A. Eh? You make an argument that, that they uh, that they have winnable games, nothing but winnable games. I think the problem is, Tony, deep down inside, we all know it's IU football, and you just kind of just sit there and wait for the bad to happen. But, no, to answer your question, Illinois is absolutely a beatable team for IU if they can play like they did last week, if they don't undo – themselves a lot of what they do on the football field especially in a road environment and i say environment i don't know how great it is in champaign illinois but that opportunity for tom allen and his team is certainly there just like they proved to us with that home win against wisconsin last saturday has the introduction of this new offensive coordinator are you seeing the idea of a difference in how this offense plays. Uh, certainly you can talk about the win against Wisconsin, but did you see a system at play where you go, okay, I see what they're doing. That's interesting. Yeah, it's funny. I think I've just seen they have settled on uh, Brendan Sorsby as the quarterback and let him play. And then I think you can see him at times, not in, in bunches, but at times you can just see him maturing and getting better and growing. So I think it's probably got more to do with that than anything else. But now, nah, I mean, not really. It, it's still, you just don't really know what you're going to get with it. And certainly Rod Carey, you know, Rod Carey is doing all he can to try to get something out of it. I think the first step was just to decide on a quarterback and move forward if they, still, if they, they have done with Soresby. That's probably helped out more than anything else. And we also should point out that Wisconsin's not not having a banner year by any stretch of the imagination. But again, in Bloomington, I mean, you you can't be begging and be choosing about this. You want to make sure that your team gets a win when they can. They did on Saturday offensively. It looked better. And then we'll see what happens tomorrow in Champaign because that opportunity to win should be there. The Colts are in Germany taking on the Patriots. The Colts are four and five. The Patriots are two and seven. The Colts have a slight advantage uh, in this game. And people aren't even so much looking at the game. They're looking at Bill Belichick's future and whether or not he's going to continue to be the Colts, the the, the coach of of the Patriots. Give me an update. Um, Is he looking for the exit or is the exit looking for him? Man, it would be a weird dynamic, would it not, Tony? Because considering a year ago, a year ago this week, the Patriots just absolutely tore the Colts apart, embarrassed them, and then when they got back home, Jim Mercer fired Frank Reich. Um, now, I don't think there's going to be an opportunity for a midseason firing here. Um, I guess you, you all bets are off if it's incredibly embarrassing, as it was for the Colts a year ago. I do think the relationship with Belichick and Robert Kraft will end in New England at the end of the year. I think everybody's going to try a new start. And, you know, I was looking at the Washington Commanders maybe as a spot, a landing spot if Bill Belichick still wants to move forward as a coach, which I would assume he would. I don't think a Colts win would oust Belichick in this fashion on Sunday. But, you know, Tony, what it would do 
it would get the Colts even on the season, and it would get people thinking going into a bye week and feeling really good about what you got when they, they get back home coming up after the bye week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have a lot of winnable games still on that schedule. And proving that to everybody, going overseas, the one thing you don't want to do is gag this up in Germany. You go all the way over there, come all the way back. I remember I went over in, what was it, uh, 17, 16, 17 in London um, when they lost to Jacksonville. And it wasn't brutal for me coming back. I had a, a hell of a time. But for that team and everybody around it, it's absolutely brutal coming back. You go that far and lose a football game. So there are a lot of reasons why, if you're the Colts, you want to win this game. Certainly to solidify yourselves, you go into that bye week and get ready for a stretch run where if you put something together, who knows what can happen. You got Gardner Minshew uh, matching up against Mac Jones. It has not been a good uh, uh, season for him. Ten touchdowns, but I think it is – Nine interceptions uh, for for Jones this year uh, is is he the issue, or has Belichick lost Belichick lost his ability to plan out an offense? No, all the above. It's all the issue right there. He is a significant issue, and this should be the last season he's going to be under center. I would guess in Foxborough, but no, it is all of the above. It's him, and you know Bill Belichick not only. Tony, the head coach, but he serves as the player personnel guy. He's the general manager, too. And it's funny, people that I talked to earlier this week on my show suggest that maybe Robert Kraft would go with another general manager, take that away from Belichick, and then he just coaches. Something inside me thinks that probably Belichick would not go with that. So that's why I don't think he's going to be there next year. I think they're going to make some sweeping changes because we have seen especially life about Tom Brady there. It just simply put has not worked out. And what you saw really early from Mac Jones coming out of Alabama has not been evident really at all since that point in time. And it appears like certainly that team is going to be ready, willing, and able to move on at the end of the year. Let's move it over to the Colts side of the ball. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5, 107.5, the fan out of Indianapolis. I haven't seen uh, the injury list. Uh, I, I still think Juju Brents is out. Uh, I think Drew Ogletree, tight end, is is out. Where is Zaire Franklin on this game? Uh, well, uh, maybe. He's a maybe. We'll find out. Um, I guess we'll solidify that probably just a little bit considering the time difference and whether they're going to run through a practice today in Frankfurt, Germany, and we'll also find out about Josh Downs because yesterday things weren't looking good regarding Josh Downs and his participation. So I'm assuming we'll find out some at some point later on today. They took a red-eye flight last night, a little after nine, the left Indy, bound for Frankfurt, Germany. But it, it may be one of these situations, Tony, it's worth watching that you go, all right, we're going over there. Um, these guys aren't ready you want to make sure that Downs and Franklin are good to go for the stretch run here. You get a bye week coming up. They may sit. Maybe Franklin sits another week. Downs, you know, obviously this week, maybe they sit and then get, get ready for the remainder of the season. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that coming up later on today. So Josh Downs, of course, wide receiver might be questionable. Right. So this this puts more pressure on the running game uh, against New England, or is this more pressure on guys like uh, Alec Pierce, who was also a, a bit questionable, on Pittman to uh, to step up in a big way? 
No, no, the entire offense, starting with the offensive line. Told you last week the offensive line wasn't great in the run game. Really wasn't great overall when you think about it. If you look at the numbers from pro football focus regarding Quentin Nelson, uh, maybe the lowest we have seen him in his career. It was not great across the board. Thus, they struggle with running the football. You'd like to see them be able to do that. But I will say this. What you don't want to do is give the football up to a New England team that's two and seven and it looked awful on the season, and that is still going to be on the shoulders of Gardner Minshew. He didn't look good last week at all. We talked about that back on Monday. However, you do give him a thumbs up in terms of not turning the ball over, and you brought that up when we started talking about the Colts and Gardner Minshew. As long he does he doesn't turn it over. And if they can just be a little bit better offensively, which was really non-existent with 198 total yards last week and that went over Carolina, I would think that that is going to be enough against New England. But he just can't turn the football over. The other thing, I don't know if New England went over early or not, but PFF, you know, they're, they're kind of nerdery here with all their uh, their numbers and analytics and such, say it's always better by their numbers if you go over earlier as opposed to later so i don't know if that's something we're going to talk about coming up on monday or not i guess if they lose we'll talk about everything but they have they, they chose to go a different path than a lot of other teams when they go overseas do as far as travel is concerned just for the record that word was nerdery yes yeah they all live in their mom's basement and, and, and that's it's funny like if it benefits the team that you love tony you go all oh, these guys are genius they're setting the pace for the long-term future with analytics if they're saying something bad about your team, then they're nerds in their parents' basement have no idea what you're talking about. That's exactly who you root for and what they're saying about your team. How many yards should the running game for the Colts get against this uh, this Patriots defense? Pretty good against the run. I mean, I, I, I'd like to suggest 120, and I'm feeling good about how they're going to win that game, but – uh, we'll see who they have available themselves coming up on Sunday. So I think about 20, I'd be feeling good about it. And, and it's probably going to be certainly a lot more Jonathan Taylor than it's going to be Zach Moss. You have seen that evolve over the past two weeks um, with him getting the number of reps being the feature back. So you go over there, I'd feel really good if Jonathan Taylor had a really nice game running the football with his offensive line against a team in New England that's been pretty good as far as uh, playing defense against the run. If Taylor can solidify, this team should win with relative ease. I just don't know if that's going to be the case or not. JMV, he is the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5-107.5, the fan out of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time. There is more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Call it Veterans Day, but it started as Armistice Day. We go back to 1918 and the end of the Great War, which was World War I. Saturday, November 11th, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, that was the cessation of hostilities ending World War I. From there, Armistice Day which was celebrated and is celebrated on November 11th, became a federal holiday as it was uh, created in 1938 and then became Veterans Day. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? 
That's what we've got going on this weekend. The difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day is the difference between um, who has passed and who hasn't. That's the the arguable uh, difference in in both cases. And and certainly, I'll stick with Veterans Day. It is almost throwback in a society that wants to not recognize the value of not only the U.S. military but military victory, uh, the recognition of what it is we do and how we do it. And when we stick to a, a standard and a, and, and a high standard and high values, how our successes lead to a better world. Our successes don't bring imperialism. We are so, we are so bad at being imperialists that after the destruction of Germany and the German war machine and the brutality of the Nazis, we rebuilt Europe. The Marshall Plan is the most non-imperialist thing. I mean, someone's going to argue it the other way. I think it's a fascinating conversation. What country did we take over? Where did we keep our flag? Well, we've got all these military bases. Yes, kept, kept Europe safe. And you know what Europe noticed when the United States wasn't there like they used to be for those years post-World War II? They really had to worry about them Russians. They're at least worried about them now, you could say. Uh, America has been and can continue to be a force for good. But to do that, you need a force. And to do that, you need men and women willing to fight in it. Thank a veteran this weekend and anytime you can. This is Tony Katz today.